0: Hello everyone, this is Christian Massar again with another episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? I hope that you're all doing well. Uh, today is January 11th, 2023, so Happy New Year. I know I'm a little late into the new year, um, but um, and certainly it's been a long time again since I've posted uh, another uh posted the last podcast uh but i'm working on something now which is quite big and also um a lot has been going on uh lately have a lot of things to take care of a lot of you know appointments you know life how life goes but um today i just want to do a quick little episode i would like to get something out anyway (laughs) so anyway today what i want to talk about is the life of loyalists to uh loyalists to the british empire um, after resettlement. After the resettlement from the 13 colonies, which broke out in the American Revolution, and, th- and then going into... Uh, than resettling in British North America, what remained of it. So I have to confess, as uh, for anyone who has followed my channel, or my not my channel, my podcast for a long time, you'll easily tell that, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on Canadian history, right? I'm much more into, um, you know, more especially Russian history, but also religious history a little bit. But um, so, but I want to take a little bit of a look into loyalist life after resettlement. So, let's go on and get on with this little message, and we'll get right back into it. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I sure hope that you've been enjoying the thoughts given in the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations episodes. But I would like to ask if you would consider making a pledge to the podcast via Patreon. I have many projects in mind for this podcast, and the books, paper, and so on needed to produce the episodes will not be free. Help keep Historical Thoughts flowing so that we can interpret the past and learn from it. You may pledge any amount that you like, and whatever you choose to give will be appreciated. If you'd like to donate, go to my Patreon link at patreon.podbean.com slash thoughts And again, that's patreon.podbean slash thoughts Now, let's get back to the episode. So, so-called so United Empire Loyalists were people who had refused to support the American Revolution and moved to Canada's modern-day Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes. More than 19,000 Loyalists fought for the British during the American War of Independence. Despite great victories in New York and elsewhere, the British Empire and its Loyalist supporters lost the war. The Loyalists faced an uncertain future now. They feared that the Revolution made coexistence with the Americans impossible. Indeed some loyalists who stayed suffered humiliation and violence so in 1782 to 83 about 40,000 of them fled to what remained of british north america again quebec and the maritimes the british government supported the loyalists with land grants and supplies but the loyalists new lives were not easy plagued by governmental incompetence lifestyle changes and unfair treatment the american revolutionary war ended after the british were defeated at yorktown on just on october 19th 1781, The British started making, quote-unquote, peace at any cost with the Americans, recognizing their independence in August 1782. When Sir Guy Carleton was given command of the remaining British forces the previous February, his first priority was to withdraw from America. The Loyalists and their property were of secondary concern, even though they had been promised assistance from the British government. These British actions made the Loyalists feel abandoned. A further blow came in the Articles of Peace which Carleton received on article on <laughs> articles of peace which he received on an article yeah <laughs> which he received on April 5th 1783 Article 5 stated that the American Congress had to recommend state governments to compensate British subject subjects for their losses but Congress only had to recommend reparations it could not force the states to pay reparations to those that lost property Congress did not even want to do such a thing now the Loyalists had no hope of recovering their losses in, Amer- in the thir- former 13 colonies. Of the Loyalists that left America, most of them took one Grand Sea exodus from New York to Halifax. They took this journey, quote, in the late summer and fall of 1783 on board ships that Sir Guy Carleton had assembled. And this is according to Neil MacKinnon in his book, The Unfriendly Soil. Some, however, did take land routes, traveling, quote, again from MacKinnon, up the Hudson Valley, and down the Richelieu to Sorrow, arriving in the winter of 1783-84. to 84. Smaller groups, such as families, crossed the border wherever they could. The main migrations ended by 1786, but loyalists still came afterwards. These were the so-called late loyalists, people who decided that staying in Canada and taking advantage of British land grants was more advantageous or perhaps safer than staying in the now independent United States. More British subjects moved from America to Canada in 1794, when Jay's Treaty evacuated traders from British fur trading posts south of the Great Lakes. The Loyalists were a diverse lot. In addition to British soldiers, the Loyalists were made up of European immigrants, women, 3,000 blacks, and 2,000 First Nations people. There were intellectuals and other elites, but most Loyalists were from the lower and middle classes. Almost all of them called themselves farmers, but they were also laborers, merchants, and artists. Just as the loyalist backgrounds were diverse, so were their reasons for leaving America. Many felt, you know, felt deep loyalty towards Britain, so, you know, kind of a sense of patriotism for the former regime. Especially, these were especially soldiers and, quote, powerful economic and political figures in the 13 colonies, according to Arthur R. M. Lower, Colony to Nation. But other loyalists had different, more pragmatic reasons. Some were unsure of what the newly independent United States would be like. American republicanism would be—I don't mean republicanism as the GOP, but you know, the how you know the American regime, the new American regime—it would be drastically different from the British status quo. And German immigrants, for example, were used to British colonial life, making Canada appear safer than America and more of more of a safe bet, something more familiar. Even if a loyalist was not particularly patriotic, living under British rule in Canada appealed because it was more familiar. Economics were a prime factor for many other loyalists as well. Some had had their wealth stolen during the revolution. While some fled to Britain, Africa, Bermuda, and the West Indies, the poorest could not afford such long journeys. So nearby Canada was their only choice. But they could own land in Canada, giving them opportunity to recover lost wealth. Edward Grab, James Curtis, and Douglas Bayer suggest... That many, especially the late Loyalists, swore oaths of allegiance to Britain to gain Canadian land. This was land that would only be given to vocally loyal British subjects. The Loyalists moving to Nova Scotia had heard good reports of their future home. Good land was thought to be there, as well as many cattle and low taxes. It was also in a good location to trade with Britain. The British government also protected the colony from the Americans. But in other ways, Canada was not a favorite choice, because it was far away, there was a lot of wilderness, and there were people of different religions and languages. Indeed, when some Loyalists arrived in Nova Scotia, they found it wasn't as they had heard, or they had hoped. Settlers', le- settlers letters depicted the land as an inhospitable land of fog and moss that could not be farmed. The Loyalists had trouble getting their land in the first place sometimes as well. Delays, confusion, and inadequate preparation characterized the government's land-grant process. The British government was poor at dealing with emergencies, and the sudden, massive Loyalist migration was no exception. Shelburne, Nova Scotia was a perfect example of a failed Loyalist community, and it shows the difficulties that Loyalists faced. Shelburne was planted at Port Roseway in 1783, but no preparations had been made for them, and the surveyors at Shelburne were incompetent. Isolated and poor agriculturally, Shelburne's long-term future was doubtful. The settlers did not coexist. They were also religiously and ethnically diverse and had no effective government. The town died when British subsidies ended. According to Grab, Curtis, and Byer again, almost all of the 10,000 people who had moved there left within 10 years. Like in Shelburne, the Loyalists as a whole did not settle down easily. Poor farmland and some settlers' inexperienced pioneer life influenced their decisions to move again. Especially in the 1780s, loyalists relocated either within their colonies or they went to other colonies altogether. After British support was stopped, some even returned to the US. By this time, anti-loyalist sentiment in America had cooled down. In Quebec, favoritism tainted the land grants. Ex-military officers were given larger plots. This enraged the other loyalists. Guy Carleton, who had organized the first Loyalist Migrations, became Quebec's governor in 1786. In an effort to calm the situation, he increased everyone's land grants. Other reforms were put into place to fix the situation. Colonial administrators tried to fix the weaknesses of the land grant system to ensure that land was available for everyone. All crown land would be available to them, except that which was reserved for naval lumber. If a current landowner fell far too behind on rent, the land could be redistributed to a loyalist. Also, under this policy change, a loyalist would not have to pay a fee to possess land, and there would be no rent for the first 10 years. A grantee would be given as much land as he could cultivate, but he would only be given land that he intended to settle, though. Finally, if surveyors were unable to plot land for the loyalists, army engineers would be sent to replace them but overall most loyalists were not compensated properly for their revolutionary war losses the loyal they were given minimal government help even though the british poured a lot of money into their aid efforts they did not go much further than helping the loyalists get on their feet to prevent extra requests that could not be met the british did not want to give more than was needed the loyalists became a burden to the government if you will and they were eventually called refugees because of their criticisms constant demands and sometimes even fraud in some cases This lack of support angered the loyalists who felt entitled to this this help. They had other grievances too. Loyalists in Quebec were unhappy about not having representatives in the assembly. And the maritime loyalists resented the original inhabitants' control of government. But as former Americans, loyalists were used to political action. Partly due to Loyalist pressure, the British reorganized what is now Canada. Nova Scotia was too large, and the capital, Halifax, was too far away for some Loyalists. So, in 1784, the colony was resized into a smaller area, and two new colonies were made from it, New Brunswick and Cape Breton. Also, because of Loyalist clamor, the British created an assembly for French Canada in 1791. Because the Loyalists had very different backgrounds, their experiences were also not the same. A Loyalist's previous way of life affected his future in Canada. For example, those who had lived in American cities did not adjust easily to farming. As mentioned earlier, many w- women participated in the Loyalist migrations. The exact lo- number of Loyalist women is not known. According to McKinnon, quote, But of the 3,225 individuals who presented claims to the British government for compensation of losses during the war, 468 were women, so that gives us a little bit of an idea. So not many uh, uh, provided claims; not they were a bit of a smaller percentage. But uh, but you know, I think we can also um, you know assume that a lot of loyalist families would have women in them, like you know, wives, mothers, and and daughters, and so on. In fact, some widows of former British soldiers were granted land in Canada. In any case, life was tough for a loyalist woman that moved to what is now Canada. If her husband chose to be a loyalist, a woman had no say. Her husband's decision automatically became her choice. Because only a few women worked outside the home, loyalist women left everything except their immediate families behind. But a man could move to new land and easily establish new friendships and social networks. In the opinion of J.M. Bubstead, loyalist women, quote, had every reason to be bitter about their fate. The black loyalists were also unfortunate people. During the war, they had fought for the British under the motto, quote, Liberty to Slaves. The British army took in escaped slaves and those who had been freed in raids. Free blacks also joined. This motto, Liberty to Slaves, you know, forced Britain to free uh, a slave who would, you know, then go to become a loyalist. But Lord Dunmore, the governor of Virginia, who had first recruited the blacks to fight the American rebels, apparently did not refer to this promise of freedom to his superiors. This commitment was also hypothetical of the British, who were determined to keep slavery. You know, this was a few decades before the British Empire banned slavery. James Walker sees Dunmore's initiative as an act of desperation to gain any ally. And Britain was also recruiting criminals and mercenaries at this time, proving Walker's view. But in fleeing to Nova Scotia, the black loyalists were excited that they would finally experience, you know, some independence. They did experience religious freedom in their new home. In America, they had been barred from religious participation, and there were concerns that they, that they would entertain ideas of liberty since free men practiced Christianity. In, in British North America, black loyalists flocked to join churches and be baptized. But, like other loyalists, they also had to cope with the poor land-grant system. Blacks were left behind in the chaos. According to Bumstead, Blacks were left behind in the chaos. Only half were given land. They also received less than other grantees and their land was of lower quality. They faced racism and violence. Nova Scotia did not try them by jury. They could not vote in New Brunswick and judges sentenced them more harshly than European criminals. In 1791 to two, black loyalists were offered to travel to Sierra Leone which was a new African colony at that time and around 1200 people took the chance. When the loyalists came to British North America, they disrupted the local balance, as you know any my mi- any mass migration does. Some Nova Scotia loyalists did not appreciate their new neighbors, not appreciating the <laughs> attitudes of the local people, and some pre-loyalists in Nova Scotia did not care for the newcomers either. They saw the loyalists as exclusionists that um, tried to, you know, um, take advantage of their loyalty. The pre-Loyalists were afraid that the Loyalists would be favored because of their so-called extra sacrifices, and some feared that Loyalists were going to replace the original inhabitants, even though the pre-Loyalists had also suffered some loss in the war, too. The local First Nations and Acadians, who were French, uh, French people living in the Maritimes, were also affected. This The Loyalist exodus displaced First Nations people, and squatters would take their land with impunity. This was despite the fact that the First Nations people had fought for the British, fearing that the Americans would take their lands. The Acadians had also had their land taken away and given to Loyalists as grants. They were later given land further north. Despite their hardships, the Loyalists did receive some benefit in coming to British North America. They received land, supplies, and temporary shelter. And the British government paid for some of their war losses. But Loyalists' life was not easy. They escaped rebel hostility but had to deal with a frustrating lands grant system the black minorities faced racism and some loyalists did not get along well with their new neighbors the loyalist experience shows that when a population migrates it is not simply a matter of packing one's bags and and leaving the the moving people will never be the same and others will also be affected either by you know a discriminatory attitude towards them or whatever so that is why, you know, that, that's a constant of history. You know, we talked about this in the 18th century, late 18th century, after the American, the 13 colonies won their war of, uh, of revolution against the, against the British. And now we have the same thing with refugees. We've had that for about 10 years or more and, you know, throughout history, really. So that's the thing, you know, when refugees are coming or people are coming in to anywhere and this is anywhere going from somewhere from North America to Asia or within North America or from Asia to North America, Africa to Africa to Asia, Africa to Europe, anywhere, we all need to treat each other well. You know, that's something that we all need to remember. Even though even though refugees and people migrating, it does it does there are some difficulties, of course. But I think the things that would be a lot better if we just treat each other as we would like to be treated. And we welcome people as as in the every way that we can. Well, that's a short look into uh, talking about the Loyalists moving to what remained of British North America after the War of Revolution, after the American Revolutionary War. Uh, Lately, I've been working on a project, uh, looking at kind of looking back, looking back to an old project I did about five (coughs) years, about four and a half, five years ago. Uh, talking about Russia's intervention in Syria. So that has been something I've talked about before on the podcast, but I'm going into a deeper look into that. But again, kind of a retrospective, you know, reading um, into reading a project from 2018 in 2022, 2023. So I'll be working on that, and I hope to release that soon. In the meantime, have a great day and take care.